0: Welcome back, it's time for Customer Who Click. Super exciting topic today. I think this is really where brands need to be shifting their thinking and their focus, and that topic is of course customer value optimization. We heard from Valentin Radu a few weeks ago. Valentin is of course the champion of CVO, but today I'm speaking with Adam Pierce, the CEO and co-founder of Blend Commerce, a marketing agency specialising in CVO. Let's get Adam on now to find out why they made that shift in CVO and what it means for brands in 2023. Hi, and thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself, give us a bit of your background and to how you've got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, hi, well, good to be here. So my name is Adam Pierce. I am the co-founder and CEO of Blend Commerce, and we are a CVO, so Customer Value Optimization Agency that is based in Warwickshire in the UK. Basically, yeah, I guess in terms of my, I guess, I guess journey into e-commerce, probably like a lot of people, it's one of those things I fell into. Previously to, to being a, an HC owner, I'd been a manager consultant, I'd been a teacher, I'd been in educational apps, and basically about 10 years ago, my business partner, who's also my brother-in-law, which we can talk about later on, said, there's this new Canadian thing called Shopify, Shopify fee. Wasn't quite sure what he was saying at the time, because he's South African as well. And uh, yeah, luckily, I listened to him, and uh, he then started developing Shopify stores, at the time I was in digital marketing, we got together, and our very, I guess, cheesy reason for our name is that we were blending marketing and development together. So that's where blend comes from, rather than it being anything to do with coffee. Even though we do need a lot of coffee, as you can see from the bags under my eyes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't actually know the reason behind blend commerce actually. Or blend, that's that's quite interesting, and, and it makes sense actually. I think there's a lot of Uh, i i mean i've uh, i'm sure you've had it everyone has it. issues with silos right where an agency does one thing and that's it and then you've got to manage that agency doing that thing another agency doing another thing so i think it's it's making more and more sense for agencies to to try and do a lot more as long as they are obviously good at it and and can do it
1: yeah totally and it's probably something i guess you see well you know is that it's important that You know, when you do work, even if it's, you know, with other companies that you share the right information and you get the right information, I imagine for you, obviously, from a CRO perspective, it's really important that you also know what is going on elsewhere from the email marketing agency's point of view. And, you know, it's it's exactly the same for us, you know, not having these different pots that operate, you know, as distinct units, there's got to be an overarching goal that you want to get to, which is kind of why we move towards the CBO model.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, half the value of what we do in CRO is the insight that we pass on to the other teams, Mm,
1: and help them improve on their side. So, yeah, how how do you get customers clicking? So, we, as I said at the start, we we were an agency that follows a principle called customer value optimization. And I think you had Valentin Radu on the show a a few weeks back. We probably talked about this quite a lot, but. Essentially, look for us. We were an agency when we started that were kind of project led. Like a lot of agencies, you start off, you think you can do everything, and you soon realize, actually, damn, you can't. And uh, what happened is that over the first couple of years, that was great. We then moved away from projects to going down the retainer route, which was, you know, us kind of doing a bunch of development and design stuff, basically a little bit like a restaurant of, of kind of order taking. So, you know, a client saying, look, we want to do X, Y, Z thing, can you do it? And we would then do it. And I think the problem was, is that we got to a point where the clients we were working with were getting bigger. We also were getting a little bit bored with what we were doing and the competition in the market for agencies being that order taking agencies were getting very, very tight. So we first came across Valentin and his team and his concept of CVO probably about two years ago. And what I really liked about it is the fact that it allowed us as an agency not only to offer more than we're offering now, it was something different to what other people were doing. So competitively, it was great. But secondly, we could actually show a lot better results because the way of working with CVO is very much both based around data in and data out, what happens both ends. So very much, I guess, you know, and uh, in, in sort of the CRO space is very, very similar. Uh, but here, you know, we've got an area where, you know, for us, it it goes a little bit wider than I guess what traditional CRO is, and that that concept of what traditional CRO is, I want to talk to you about today because I think that's an interesting discussion. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I can't. I mean, I guess in a way, like it, uh, an agency is doing CVO, it kind of sounds like a, a basically a full service, uh, an actual full service agency not just an agency that offers PPC and offers development and offers market research or whatever, but one that's actually, we are your growth function.
1: Yeah. I really mean, like I suppose you know, a good way to probably illustrate it is, you know, prior to us doing CBO, I guess we were a, a typical design development CRO agency. And, and I've looked all those things together. So I guess the way it would have worked is that a client would have come in We would have done, you know, a bit of analysis on their site, looked at best practices, looked at their numbers in terms of their conversion rate and AOV. And then on the top of that, then said to our design developers, right, what do you think that we should do for this, for this client? We then roll out, obviously, what we think is best. We see how it goes. We A, B test and we repeat the process. So that, you know, for all intents and purposes was what we're doing. Like a lot of, I guess, you know, Shopify would do. The difference now is that, you know, with CVO is that when a client comes in, we're not actually putting that conversion rate as the core metric. What we're doing is saying that conversion rate is one essentially of six metrics that feed into LTV or CLV as we call it, customer lifetime value, and we're comparing that with CAC. So essentially, when you bring a customer in, what we're saying is in terms of the average, how much is a customer worth versus how much does a customer cost? That essentially is the number that we're working towards. What we then do is, yes, we do all that kind of best practice type stuff. But on top of that, there's a lot of qualitative research pieces we'll do. So things like jobs to be done surveys where we are finding out obviously from customers, not so much about the likes and dislikes of customers for that product, but more of, okay, what was the journey alleged to this point? What was that, you know, struggling moment that you had that then obviously made you buy this product? That then helps us, and then copy design customer journey, and on top of that, you've also then got the data analysis side. So things like RFM segmentation, where you are scoring your customers based on the recency, frequency, and monetary aspects of them, and then you are then personalising on site to each of those different segments. So I guess kind of yeah, the difference is, is it's more intense from our perspective, but from a merchant's point of view. They are getting from us, in comparison to before, more stronger hypotheses in terms of what we think is going to happen, and I guess a stronger plan based on data of what we think we could do, as well as there being a very much a focus on, right, we have different levers to pull here for LTV, rather than us, as we did before, just pretty much going where, look, conversion rate AOV are the only numbers you need to look at. That's now not the case. So that's that's hopefully kind of I guess outlines the two, the difference between I guess before CVO for us and in CVO for us.
0: Yeah. So I suppose, yeah, beforehand, if you're looking at conversion rate, average order value and things like that, it's it's those immediate metrics that you know you're seeing from from certain campaigns from from individual orders. But CVO has given you that bigger picture, that that longer term picture. And also, like you said, breaking down into RFM segments so you can actually start to understand the different behaviors. And so, actually, I was, I was talking to someone about this the other day about how I feel like a lot of brands approach acquisition and, and actually retention from the point of view that there is one behavior that a loyal customer displays. Yeah, and they will then, and, and they seem to just decide on what that behavior is. Let's say it's a. Heights, for example. I, I get Heights supplements. Obviously, it's it's a monthly subscription. So from their point of view, they'd be expecting me to place an order every month. Or I think they do it quarterly, actually. But I know there are days when I forget it. You know, I tend to fall out of the habit on a weekend because I have them at my desk to make it easy when I'm working. Or I go on holiday, I might forget them, which means that every now and again, I'm going to skip an order. And yeah. there'll be a lot of businesses that look at that and say... Oh, she skipped an order. What's going on? Like people who skip orders, people who pause are more likely to cancel. What's going on here? Panic. And that's not the case. But then you get other brands where there isn't that that regular pattern built into the product so much. But some people will come back and buy it every month. Some people will buy it every three months. But because brands take that single behavior view on the customers they look at those people buying every three months and say, these are not loyal customers. They're not great customers. But actually in that person's mind, they love this brand. They're really loyal. They're mm-hmm. only ever going to
1: come back, but they only need the product every quarter. Yeah, well, totally. So and I, I was going to say, well, I think, you know, from, you probably see this quite a lot with subscription brands. And I find this a really interesting one, depending on what your narrative is, you know, I guess as an agency, as an expert, you can kind of cut things in different ways. So, we had a brand quite recent actually who'd done this. Their subscriptions were literally dying. So the subs were dropping off in terms of new acquisition subscriptions, dying off. But when you actually looked at what was happening, the retention rate on the single purchase products was increasing, basically leveled off in terms of the data, almost one-to-one with subscriptions. So in that instance, from a, an actual, you know, cash on the table perspective they're actually net better off because what they weren't doing is doing the subscribe and say you know five to ten percent discount yeah. off but it was still happening and i think you're absolutely right that's the problem is that sometimes and it's what we realised too is we were being a far too narrow-minded and looking at numbers when we had a particular narrative we needed to, to deploy whereas now obviously you know we don't do that but the difficult thing is a lot of brands are still doing that to themselves. You know, I had a conversation in the week with quite a, a big national drinks company who are D2C, and we had the same situation there where the head of retention is looking at it, you know, LTV, but the head of commercial is purely just looking at the conversion rate, and they're seeing a completely yeah. different business. and And that's the tricky thing, I think, you know, for us as an agency now is, Getting people to understand why CBO, but also getting alignment in a team, and that's been the most difficult part for us as an agency of of you know going down this new route of CBO. We're definitely not there yet, but I think you know with I'm definitely seeing LTV to CAC being talked about a lot more, both in terms of brand, also things like you know the content we see on LinkedIn, which you know you and I are are always seeing probably quite a lot more of now. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, like, yeah, I mean, it's something that I've I've always looked at, right? I, I, I mean, my, my background was startups, quite early stage startups. So I was in a position where I, I I couldn't just look at it from a conversion point of view because I was involved in the entire funnel. So, you know, I wasn't siloed off, which means I, I you know, I could, I could see the impact that certain campaigns had, certain incentives had, and I could see that, yeah, we could bump conversion up with a certain offer, but people cancelled straight away. And mm-hmm. so our lifetime value was bad. So now that I've moved into more conversion rate optimization, my approach has been, well, you know, one thing I've talked about a bit is, is ditch the discounts, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's, it's making sure that essentially w- when you're converting someone, you're converting them because it's the right reason. Because you've actually convinced them it's the right product for them, not because you've overly incentivized that purchase and they've gone, oh, yeah, go on, I might as well. You know, I saw... I made I made this comment to someone I know at the company, quite a big meal kit brand. Now I remember when this brand was young, and I think the welcome offer I got was something like forty percent off my first box. Yeah, it might it might have been twenty five off two boxes, something like that. Now the offer I've seen, I think it was sixty percent off your first box, and then like twenty five percent off for three months, something like that. It is it's just insane and. I know from speaking to these, these brands that they are, they've all got stuck into this discounting yep. nightmare where they're all, they're all just competing on price, struggling with the margin on it because they've given away that margin. But they've got to a point where they overly incentivized it early. And now people are saying, well, why would I pay full price when I know, or to me, it seems like you can afford to give me this discount. Mm. So I'm going to wait for the discount. And I know that I, I only ever resubscribed when I got an offer in
1: my, in my inbox saying, do you want 40% off your next two boxes? Exactly. Because oh, I think the other thing probably as well, is like, you know, with that industry, you, I imagine, probably also do what we do as a family, is that we gamify the whole system. So basically, we pretty much got each of those boxes on a rotation. We do one for three months. We get the discounts. We move off it. We go back and one rotate, like you know, and that's the problem. Ultimately, then you get into this race for the bottom. Yeah, you know, we we've got a brand recently that we're working with on their email marketing, and they are in exactly that situation. Is that they're a drinks brand, but what they did is to bring people in. They're giving a twenty percent discount when that first person comes in. The problem is the way they set their email up is that that discount can then be used effectively in perpetuity. So what they've got now is that actually, right. yes, okay, they're converting, but they're screwed because their margins are so poor. And they're saying, well, you know, we've got to do two things now. One is that we've got to wean our existing customers off discounts. How are we going to do that? Which is, you know, quite a difficult thing, I would, I would argue, to do. But the second thing is then, what is the offer? How do we need to change to then obviously get the right type of customers in to then not need that discount. And I think that's where the disconnect's coming is like that first bit is that it's not about the level of discount or whatever. It's actually are we getting the right people with the right messaging for the right type of customers? And that's where kind of our process CVO works because we can then, you know, look through the data in terms of reviews. We can look at the keywords have been using. We look at the jobs to be done surveys and say, well, actually, it was this reason why people went to that particular thing in the first place. So we'll use that then to help with acquisition. So, very much what you were saying before is like, we've got to stop this like obsession with silos. And I, you know, in all honesty, like a lot of it does come for brands because it comes from this idea of departments, doesn't it? You know, the IT department, the finance department, the acquisition department, the retention department. Website guys, that we would get to. You do get agencies who who do come in and they are only interested in doing their job.
0: Yeah, and and to be fair, if, if that's what they've been hired for, they don't want to waste time on doing stuff that's outside that job. But it just doesn't help when when they show no interest and they're not even they don't even want to have a conversation about the insight they could provide to you know a, a different department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just on the e- on the discount thing, I remember I spoke to Parry Mal from Reezy on the podcast was one of the first episodes. And he said with one of their clients, what they found is they switched the subject lines in their emails and just removed the discounting. Mm-hmm. but it' switch it because their tool does testing. That's the purpose. And they found that people people still responded really well to the emails that didn't do discounting. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they were like 40% better off in of revenue because they realized that people weren't buying because of the discount, but they were buying because they wanted the the, the content, the the products. And and I think you know what we've seen in, in e-commerce, especially in the last probably last three years, I reckon. I, I think the pandemic was really bad for this. There's lots and lots of best practice out there. have uh, like certain apps, certain widgets and things that people just stick on their website and they don't know why. And discounting's gone down that route as well. It is just best practice to give a 10 twenty percent welcome offer on a pop-up on your home page immediately as someone lands with no reason behind it, no you know there's no extra data gathering with it or anything and you know what I've seen I know I know what what other people seeing looking at data is the the conversion the time to conversion from people who claim that discount is basically almost immediate. And so, what that means is, people are ready to buy the or the people who are claiming the discount are the people who are ready to buy, but they are only taking it because they want the discount. The actual email flows have almost no impact on it.
1: Yeah, really good point.
0: Um, but again, because there's siloed teams and things, people don't understand this.
1: Mm. I mean, the thing is, I don't. I also don't get it because you know, ultimately, if you if you're in a situation where you are one of maybe and I we. We're in situations where we are sometimes in a group of maybe two, three agencies. Maximum, I think, is probably six we've been part of. But ultimately, if you as an agency can help the other guys and make them look like, look like rock stars, they're going to try and reciprocate because it's just human nature. And I think that's the mentality that we've had. And you know, it's we've done it before where we've tried to fight it and it completely bit us on the ass. Because, you know, what we were doing is that we were, you know, we were getting, we were effectively being told by this other agency of things that we should do. And obviously our response was, no, we're not doing that. And it it was, it ended up, you know, being basically a bit of a bum fight each month about what the priorities were for the site. In the end, the client got rid of both of us. (laughs) So it doesn't, it doesn't pay for us to, you know, to not try and support the merchant. Because if they win, and also if the other agencies win too, everyone's happy. So, but it, you know, it's just human nature. People are, are competitive. People do get protective of their territory, and you know, I, I don't think it's as you know as bad as maybe it is in other industries. But it, yeah, look, well, you know, the same. It, it certainly happens.
0: I mean, I, I think it can get pretty bad in this industry. Yeah, particularly in. I see it mainly with. Paid acquisition agencies, like pure paid acquisition agencies and mm. pure email agencies mm. who quite blatantly, massively over attribute to their channels. I remember I was in one one quarterly strategic meeting for a client and this guy made the claim that email had generated 40% of their revenue. And I was just like, no, I can tell you right now, it hasn't. Partly because I know how much traffic goes to this website, I know how many people are on the email list, and how many people go through those flows. There's no way that is happening, and I think you know it's it's the classic like clavier setup. Really, it's the the attribution period on it. Mm. What well, can be changed? In, in fact, I saw there was a someone did a LinkedIn post about this. How I think I think he did an audit on someone's account. And he went in there and he saw that the the attribution period was thirty days for yep. an email, yeah, um, or something like that. And he said the default is I don't know what was the default three five days something like that. I think it's seven a few days, but it's reasonably yeah, yeah. short. Mm. Maybe seven. So this put this other agency had gone in there and opened up that attribution window mm. for thirty days. Yeah, and the only reason you're doing that is to is to overinflate your numbers, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is... Is that the sort of stuff that makes it really difficult for everyone else,
1: Yeah, it? no, no, definitely. And I think, you know, th- the thing is, like that's why we always go in and actually amend hours. Usually, I think, I think as of like 48 hours that we re- move it down to, because the problem is, is that if you don't, like you say, there is always, again, that fight for attribution. And this, this is kind of also why we... We also like CVO from that perspective too, because it sort of it takes a little bit of that need, I guess, to to attribute everything. If you're looking at the bottom line for the company from an LTV to CAC perspective, most of the time you can get more of the conversation looking at that rather than you know, well, no, that was from Google Ads, that was from email, that was from you know SEO, and. Because I think the problem is when you get into those rabbit holes and those conversations, ultimately, the revenue that you've generated, the profit that you've generated is still the same. But actually, you haven't really kind of worked out actually why, what what was the reasoning for that purchase. Yes, each of those channels have probably been touch points. Yeah, we we bang on about, it, it cracks me up, we bang on about Omnichannel and about all these various channels that have an impact on our sales. But then, actually, when we come down to the numbers, we have this obsession with oh, it has got to come from one of those channels. Bullshit! You know, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So, but well, but it's hard. So
0: that that actually leads me to something I want to ask you about post purchase surveys, mm. um, and it's exactly that attribution piece that I want to touch on because this came up on LinkedIn yesterday. I made a comment about it. I don't personally, and maybe because it's, I because it's because I focus on CRO, but I don't see the value in asking people where they heard about your brand Mm. or where they've come from today, because it gives, it's exactly that thing. It gives you this idea that there's one channel that, that drives it. And also you're relying And I know people are saying, well, we can't trust the data. So we need to ask people, but it's like, well, can you really trust when someone first heard about your brand?
1: Yeah, I mean the thing is that we we don't actually go down that route with our post purchase sort of MBSs. It's actually more the questions we would go down the route of is in terms of that experience, how did you find the checkout process today? How would you rate the checkout process one to three? How quick was the process? So it's it's more about the here and now of that journey through the site, where they get But I agree, like you know, on that level, it, it's yeah okay, it's a nice know and you know ultimately yeah, you might say well, if I knew that information, I could then go and obviously distribute different fronts of different channels. but like you say, is is there a true accuracy of that? you know I bet you for sure if you asked me that past three things that I, I purchased, where you know on those surveys what I was like, oh probably just googled it. I probably didn't. It was probably a tiktok ad. it was probably word of mouth. it was probably a billboard on the tube. As I was coming back from an event, that I first saw about it. It's all those moments you can't quantify. You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're not living in that. I guess you no know, print media time, are we? You know, I guess kind of from the sort of you know seventies and eighties where you yeah, know, look, David goes to buy his morning newspaper, he reads an article, he writes to the company for a mail or a pair of socks yeah. to deliver to him. it. It'd be bloody lovely, love. literally like four channels. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we can't. Oh, we, we we're never going to be in a position where we can say with you know solid guarantees, which unfortunately is still the expectation from some brands. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it,
0: it's a big one with things like YouTube, isn't it? Yeah, but YouTube. From from my experience and what I've heard, it's it doesn't generate direct sales that much, but it's a valuable part of and, you know it's a touch point. Um, mm. it's going to drive some sales, especially if you get the content right. But it's it's a good touch point. But yeah, I mean, if you if you did that survey. You might find that literally no one says youtube, and then does that brand say, "Oh well, obviously our our attribution must be wrong because no one says they they heard of us on YouTube, so let's cut that it doesn't it doesn't make sense you no know, yeah i I tend to focus on the you know kind of what are you trying to achieve with this product what you know what was the problem you're trying to fix with this product that's sort of sort of messaging i've I've tried a little bit of was there any information missing, sort of sort of thing? But generally, I find that you know p- people who have purchased they they didn't have those questions
1: because mm. that's especially like- for you know the more more expensive products that require that thought. Definitely, I mean, I think you know there's two things. There's, there's obviously the NPS that you can do sort of immediately after you know credit card committal, and then also there would be you know the NPS that you can then do post delivery. And I think, you know, that the post delivery one for us, we always get a higher response rate to, and also I think is genuinely more valuable for us than coming up with ideas generation for the whole process. Because I think at that point, you know, and it's, it's something actually, you know, that Valentin has talked quite a lot about in the past. It's like, as companies, we're all guilty of it, you know. We hammer, 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 hammer try and get it at sale. They put the credit card details in. They sign the contract. Hands behind your back. Chill out. We've done our job. From the customer's point. Yeah, he jumped on. Yeah, that's where it begins. And when that's a problem, we all forget it, don't we? You know, I've done it before. Clients sign the dotted line. Oh shit, I forgot to send the onboarding email. That onboarding email is damn important to them. That's when they're starting to actually, you know, judge me, judge blend as a company. So I've got to make sure that I do that. And I think that's the thing is you learn a lot more from that one because there's all these expectations of things that the customer doesn't generally get because on the whole, most e-commerce companies are pretty bad at post-purchase and the the delivery process to getting product to first taste, touch, try. And that's where you can learn a heck of a lot. So if you're not doing that, give that a pop.
0: Yeah. I mean, even, even the big brands. Right, it's not the small brands who you kind of think, oh, maybe they just don't know any better. Even the big brands, you know, I've I've bought some from some huge brands, and it's basically you make the purchase, you get your courier related mm-hmm. emails or text messages, and then you probably get a review request a few days later, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I've, I've I've used an email. It's not quite an MPS, and I've probably it's probably because I use it for smaller companies. But it's a plain text email that goes out either when we know delivery has been done because it's tracked, or when we, you know, roughly when we think it's been done. And it's literally plain text email which just says, like, you know, let us know how delivery went. You know, you should have your products by now. If you've got any questions, any problems, just hit reply and we'll deal with it. And I find it's a really good way of getting a bit of feedback. But it also what I found is for for the happy customers. They appreciate that email, right? The fact that you've reached out just to, just to check in, but for the unhappy customers, you get the chance to fix the problem before it goes to a review. Correct. Whereas most companies send out the review, and then you look into their the dashboard of their review platform, and they've got hundreds and hundreds of unapproved one, two, three star reviews. It could have just been fixed if they'd if they'd try and try to actually
1: deal with the problem Com- completely well. And like I think yeah, I think this is. This is why sometimes I feel like a little bit of a fraud in this space because I think CRO and CVO as well, it's a real paradox for me and here's why. Because on the one hand, we're talking about something that is very data-led, okay? So there is lots of qualitative data, lots of quantitative data, we're crunching the numbers, we're looking at patterns, we're looking at correlations, all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand... Once you've then got that data and you're seeing something that's happening, for me, a lot of it is about taking a step back, having a bit of common sense about how someone might be feeling from a, you know, okay, right. As a human being, how am I feeling about the situation and putting something to play that way? And I think that's why I I kind of struggle sometimes is that, you know, you you talk about certain things and like, you know, particularly me when I post them on LinkedIn, I'm like, but this shit is just kind of common sense. But ultimately, it's not because I think the problem is, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, with obviously you know silos and departments. Everyone needs a number. Everyone needs to have a formal process for doing something, and you, it it bogs people down from saying, right, is this person you are sending this product to going to be happy, sad, indifferent? When are they going to struggle? What is the moment that they're going to go, ah, oh, actually, I wish I had that thing, and that that's I think in all honesty. That's a big part of the thing we've got to solve. It's a big part of the problem that people like you and I actually give to these brands because when you are so involved in a business and you've got, you know, the cost that you've got going on, the acquisition cost, the HR, you know, all these different problems you have running a business, you can forget that stuff. And I do the same in my own business. In a conversation today, the day and this guy's like, have you done blah, 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 three things like, those are so basic. How can we not be doing those things? But you don't because you get blinded by it. And it's yeah, that, that's why I kind of, like I say, I, I feel there's a bit of a paradox in this space that we work in of like complexity versus simplicity. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, everyone wants quick results, don't they?
0: Mm. Everyone, you know, in the, in the smaller companies, it's, you know, if, if we don't get immediate ROI from these actions, the company might die. And, you know, from what I've seen in bigger companies, it tends to be teams are understaffed, under-resourced. They've got their high targets. And so they're thinking everything I do has got to be towards just hitting my revenue target. And that's, that's something that leads to discounts a lot because people know they can just get a flood of revenue discounts. Uh, and I think, again, yeah, it comes down to like siloing and, but not just siloing, it's, I guess, transparency within a business as well. If people don't understand the metrics, like margins, unit you, you know, economics, and things, you get an email marketer saying, "Shit, I need to hit my target for the quarter, yeah. and Let's do a flash sale." Not understand that, you know, thinking, "Oh, brilliant! I'm I'm going to generate twenty grand in revenue from this email," and then, but on the, on the bottom line, it's it's contributing nothing. Yeah. So it's yeah. There's a dangerous more more, more issues <laughs> to it. That's that's just difficult. Yeah cool and, and anything else you wanted to add about
1: cvo i think look you know ultimately it's it's one of those things i think that it doesn't also need to be all done at once i think it's probably a good thing to do say so if you are tuning in and kind of you know you, you want to get a bit more information on of it have a look at the stuff that we put out blend on cvo have a look at the stuff that valentin radu puts out on cvo you know the, there's a growing bulk of content but it might just be a small part of it so for example you know even if you're able to go and do an rfm analysis of your email list that is going to give you a lot of valuable information even if you can go and add an nps survey on your site as the first step just just kind of you know, i guess test the water put put your toe in the water and kind of see say look what let's let's invest you know a few hours or a day of doing this thing let's see what we get back of it what are the stories that we can find out and off the back of it is there one or two things that we can change that we can then test to see if there's an impact if it works great yeah. you know maybe then do another step so i think you know, that's the thing with with everything again is take baby steps i'm not a fan of kind of shiny object syndrome which you go again is another thing we have in e-commerce oh it's this brand new thing let's just go head first like all these brands just go right Let's turn off Instagram and Facebook. It's all about TikTok. You don't get this big court case in the States going, oh, TikTok might not be around. Oh, that's a bit scary. So yeah, don't don't kind of go two footed. Have a little go with it, first of all. Go in slowly and then kind of, you know, work your way in and see if it works out for you. Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, CRO and
0: CVO, they're not marketing channels. Right? They they support the marketing channels. So you know, if you wanted to go down the route of of CVO, it's not you don't have to just build a new department and set up all these processes I and mean, it's this massive yeah. project. You can literally just take one little bit of it. You know, uh, jobs to be done interviews, or or getting that NPS survey in place. You know, it, it's it's kind of one action that you've got to do once that then feeds into all those other channels. So the, the value you can get from taking one CVO related action
1: is is so beneficial exactly and you know it's it's that whole thing sort of horse of the course is you know not all parts of cvo are going to be relevant for every single size of company you know in terms of the full suite then realistically speaking you need to be a brand that is kind of doing probably i would say in excess of of 10 to 15 million pounds or dollars a year you know as as kind of a dollar number but if you're you know less than that and you're you know you do in excess of sort of you know i would say one and a half to two there's certainly elements that you can use because you will have enough data to to use some of those tools with to, to make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Just
0: before we finish, a couple of quick questions. Firstly, if you could sit with the marketing department of one brand, who would have it?
1: Ooh, great question. I would... Man. It, it's a hard one. So, okay. On the one hand, I would love to sit with the marketing department from Huel because I'm very interested to see a little bit more about some of the attacks that are going on. I would, all, And also, I would like to probably sit with the marketing department or actually sit with anyone from Midday Squares. Jake Carls, who's one of the, the founders there, I love him. I'm kind of fangirling him all the time on LinkedIn. I love what they do, but I would love to see in the workings of their mind.
0: I don't know them. Midday Squares. I don't think I know.
1: Yeah, do you, if you follow them on, on LinkedIn, they're pretty noisy. Still very high energy. A few guys and girls who, who run the show there. Sweet. Yeah, I think... Do you know True Classics? Yes. True Classic. Yeah.
0: I think I'd love to sit with them. For a brand... I've, I've heard... I don't know how true this is. I've heard... They're doing over three hundred million a year, selling plain t-shirts, and and a few other bits. But essentially, it's all just plain clothing. That makes it sound really boring, right? They're supposed to be like incredible fit. That's their whole whole thing. But they are still selling plain t-shirts, and and they're absolutely killing it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. Just finally, you got one last piece of advice for brands out there. What would it be?
1: My advice would be is look after the customer once they put the credit card details in and uh, you know you can you can worry about your site all you want ultimately that kind of you know last mile whatever you want to call it that's the thing that's going to make or break your business especially over the next 12 to 18 months yeah yeah i think that's right
0: also well thank
1: you so much adam if anyone wants to reach out and find out more what's the best way of doing that yeah, fantastic. So uh, good to be on Willen. If people want to obviously get in touch with me personally, it's Adam Pierce, P E A R C E, on LinkedIn. And uh, obviously, yeah, if you want to have one more about what we do at Blend and CVO, just go ahead and go to blendcommerce.com. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Adam. Cheers, Well, Good to be on. Thanks. Something I've always talked about with my
0: approach to CRO, conversion rate optimization, is how the end goal still needs to be improving profitable revenue. Of course, we can improve conversions by throwing discounts around and incentivizing it, but if it's not making profit for a company, it doesn't matter. And that's where CVO comes in. CVO really puts that importance and focus on the end result. Who are your most valuable customers? How can you acquire more of them? And how can you encourage other customers to show those same traits? With profitability becoming ever more important to brands this year, customer value optimization is an essential path to follow. If you'd like to hear more from Adam, you can find him on LinkedIn or head to blendcommerce.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Amy Fullerton joining me from Neo Cocktails to talk about how startups can get the right data into the hands of the right teams without having to rely on expensive enterprise level solutions. But until then, keep those customers clicking.